0: Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbas of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up.
1: It is Wednesday on the Three Martini Lunch. We're really glad you are with us. Your stool is ready and it's all crazy martinis today. We're brought to you by Keeps. Keeps.com slash martini helps to keep the hair you have. And uh, Jim, like I said, all crazy martinis today. And the first one's really thorny, honestly. Uh, You live in Fairfax County, Virginia. Uh, They've come up with their plans, which I know most people don't like. I live in Prince William County. They're about to come up with their plans, which I'm pretty sure very few people are going to like. And now President Trump and Education Secretary Betsy DeVos are threatening to cut federal funding if schools don't fully physically reopen this is according to Politico but obviously it's being reported in multiple places the president and uh, DeVos and others had this big roundtable at the White House I believe yesterday so according to Politico they're increasing pressure on education leaders as the administration intensifies its drive to get kids back in the classroom Trump following that up this morning with a tweet saying in Germany Denmark Norway Sweden and many other countries schools are open with no problems The Dems think it would be bad for them politically if U.S. schools open before the November election, but it is important for the children and families. May cut off funding if not open. DeVos has said similar things, saying she's, quote, very seriously looking at withholding federal funds from schools that don't open their doors this fall. So, Jim, I'm guessing our school districts aren't that different from a lot of others. Do you do all remote learning uh, over the web? Do you do a hybrid some days in, some days out? Or do you try to get everybody back in and somehow still social distance? But uh, it's it's a tough issue. I think you have discussed before how useless in many ways the distance learning was when, when educators tried to do it on the fly back in the spring. And a lot of people don't want to go back to that. So what's feasible and what's the impact of Trump and DeVos taking this line?
0: Yeah, the entire morning, almost the entire morning jolt today is focused on this issue and observing that the argument of my local teachers union and quite a few folks, uh, I guess, other teachers unions across the country when they say, look, it's just not safe. We should not reopen in person teaching in schoolhouses across the country until there's a vaccine look, we're probably not getting a vaccine distributed until 2021. Maybe if we're lucky, the early part, maybe the middle part, maybe not even the, la- the latter part. Now, we got through four months of distance learning, I and mean, you can't see the air quotes I'm making around the word learning at that point. There's three things I'd like to see us all kind of universally recognize as we debate this. One, not having in-person schooling is really bad for kids. I mean, in some cases, really, really bad for kids psychologically, physically, in terms of their education, in terms of their ability to retain skills, um, that this is, you know, we should all want to get kids back in school as soon as possible, as soon as it's safe. Second thing we've got to recognize is that the danger of the coronavirus to children is much smaller than it is for adults, but it's not non-existent. There is that multi-system inflammatory syndrome. That's pretty serious. The good news is most kids recover, but not all of them do. And this is something we can't just hand wave away. And the third thing is that children probably aren't going to suffer the worst effects of the coronavirus, but children aren't the only people who are in the schoolhouse. you got teachers, you got principals, you got administrative staff, you got janitors, and all, some of those folks might very well be in high-risk categories, immunocompromised or getting up there in years. So I b- believe that this argument of no, no school until the vaccine, very unrealistic, very bad for kids. The question is, okay, how do you work through the logistics of getting kids in there? In my neck of the woods in Fairfax County, they said the most they're doing until further notice in the fall would be two days a week, and the other option is to do all distance learning, which uh, you know, listeners know I'm not terribly thrilled with. Um, so the question is, you know, how do you reduce class sizes? Do you do certain kids, certain days of the week? Do you have, how many, how much can you get the kids to wear masks and particularly in the younger grades, keep them on? Yeah. Uh, how much can you, uh, change, you know, you do outdoors classes. Can you do, uh, your gym class outside? You have to give up electives because it's just not possible to have the kids doing art class or music class, where they'll be touching things. How frequently can you get people washing their hands, using hand sanitizer, You know, there's a whole bunch of tools we have in our toolbox. The question is, how do you use all of them? And I think it's worth noting that, yeah, there's some who are probably dragging their feet or some who I think are being excessively cautious. Sure. But let's just assume good faith that, you know, there are a whole bunch of teachers out there who miss their kids. They want to get back in the classroom. They want to do it safely. Trump blustering into this and and turning this into a me versus you issue is probably not going to help very much. Uh, I don't think an effort to withhold federal funding from schools that do not reopen uh, because of the fears of, of spreading the virus, I, I don't think they would hold up in court. Um, it would take some time to fight that out, but uh, you know, I, I don't think this is the sort of thing where the courts would look kindly upon this. You know, The president has the right motivation, but by jumping into this, I, I suppose there may be a political strategy behind this. Trump may believe that if he takes this position, Joe Biden is gonna gravitate towards the opposite position and say, no, no, the president's being reckless and dangerous, we shouldn't have school until there's a vaccine. And that would put Joe Biden on the other side of a whole lot of parents and probably also quite a few teachers and other educators across this country who do wanna get back into the classroom. Um, Look, by that standard, maybe it's a good idea. But in terms of actually getting classes reopened and, and schools reopened and kids going back to class this fall, I can't think of anything more damaging than to have a bunch of folks in MAGA hats going up to school board meetings and shouting, you guys just want to keep it closed so that we can, uh, so you want to hurt the president or something like that. Greg, you may have seen that video of the woman who was uh, testifying against masks down in Florida. I don't think she mentioned aliens, but basically everything short of that was involved in her diatribe. This is not going to help things if this turns into another partisan football. Um, so again, I think the president's on the right, uh, you know, has the right instincts here or he wants the right goal, but I think the way he's going about it is extraordinarily counterproductive and much more likely to turn it into a usual red versus blue us versus them fight. Jim, a couple of follow-up points here because we
1: watched the local school board hear public comment last night from 68 different people, which took a couple of hours. I didn't listen to all of it, but uh, my wife pretty much did. Uh, and as I should also point out, as you pointed out in the jolt today, you know this is becoming a political football because others have decided that certain activities and groups are fine, while others have not. Uh, whether you you put the you know, a lot of folks think it's OK to protest uh, for Black Lives Matter. Other people uh, don't think it's OK to go to church and vice versa. So uh, but in the public comments last night, I heard a couple of things I thought that were interesting. Number one, on the cautionary side, you had some teachers saying, uh, I think I would be OK. But look, I take care of my elderly mother or father. And so mm-hmm. you got a one degree of separation there. On the other side, I heard another argument. And I want to get your thoughts on this because I thought it was interesting. I'm not sure where I personally come down on it. But they said, uh, aren't teachers essential personnel? And so if it's an essential job, because we had that whole essential versus non-essential debate a few months ago, shouldn't they need to be in the classroom? And some folks, of course, wanted to give parents the option and see whether you had enough of a balance where some parents wanted their kids in, some parents wanted their kids out, and therefore you could do both with everybody getting what they want. But obviously, that's, that's, a, that's an aggressive wish there. So what, uh, do th- what do you think about those things?
0: I was going to say, Greg, you're putting it in a, in a, you know, very clarifying way, because let's assume like why, you know, we, we've seen outbreaks at meatpacking plants, uh, some of which prompted them to, to close. But the reason most meatpacking plants are operating is because people need food and people want to see meat on their shelves when they go to the supermarkets. Why are people working in supermarkets? Why are people working in pharmacies? Why are people working in Amazon warehouses, shipping them stuff? Because people need these things in order to survive, in order to function. And we decided that. So if teaching your kids isn't a, you know, food, water, shelter level requirement, it's probably just below that, right? I mean, if it's not Category 1, it's Category 1A or, you know, the top of Category 2. And we've tried to do this jury-rigged effort of teaching kids through Zoom and Skype. And I think we can all agree that this really didn't come anywhere close to where we want it to be. I think the country can function with, you know, from mid-March to May or June, not, ha- you know, operating with this slipshod, not so great substitute. But if it stretches into the fall and if it gets into early 2021, well, then we're really doing damage to our kids' futures. You really can't just write off one year of a child's education. God help you if you have kids who are just kind of learning to read, hitting that kindergarten, first grade, you know, those really fundamental formula of brain-shaping years, and all of a sudden everything got interrupted and your kids haven't seen their teachers for months and months. So it's one of those things like, look, I wouldn't want any teacher going into an environment they didn't feel safe. I wouldn't want anybody going into a building where they feel like, if I show up to work today, am I going to die? That having been said, we have precautions that can be taken. And it's one of those things where I think it is reasonable to ask educators to say, look, we're not asking, you know, this isn't, this isn't raiding the beaches of Normandy, right? This is not, uh, you know, no one's asking you to, you know, raid the compound of a drug cartel, right? We're just asking you to figure out what circumstances you feel like you can teach safely and minimize your risk to exposure. And hopefully, as we go along this, the, the treatments for you get it. If God forbid you get it, you hopefully turn out to be asymptomatic. If you're not asymptomatic, hopefully it just turns into a, a, like a bad case of the flu that you're able to get through in two weeks. And in one of those really bad circumstances where you have to go to the hospital, at the very least, hopefully we have remdesivir and maybe hydrochloroquine based on that last study. Hopefully we've got tools that can help you recover. Look, this is a tough situation. Everybody's going to have to give a little. The idea of these teachers unions, that their, their membership aren't willing to accept any level of risk involved in educating our kids until things are hunky-dory, 100% safe, I think is just not a realistic option. And I think they'll find themselves on the other side of a whole bunch of parents if they maintain this stance. And I'm sure you're shocked that Joe Biden's agreeing wholeheartedly with the teachers union. That, uh... I mean, look, I mean that okay. As far as we know, that's what he, that's what his advisors are telling him to do. <laughs> I have no idea what he really thinks. All right. Well, let's talk about our great sponsor keeps today. And Jim,
1: I was on vacation last week, as you know, and last Thursday, I got a haircut while I was on vacation. It was the first haircut I got since January. I was supposed to get one right around the time that everything shut down. And uh, given all the things we had to get done at at work and so forth, didn't have time to get there. So uh, you could say I looked like a BG, uh, maybe a Carter administration official. uh, But it was getting long, very long for me. Five months without a haircut, uh, very unusual. And so I was starting to get to the point where I was – Kind of jealous of the folks I know who either just buzz their hair or uh, actually were bald because they didn't really have to do much maintenance, and it was really getting hot, and really getting annoying for me. Now that I have a haircut, uh, it's a slightly different perspective. But uh, if you are looking to keep your hair, that's where Keeps comes in. Did you know that two out of three guys will experience some form of male pattern baldness by the time they're thirty-five? Well, the best way to prevent hair loss is to do something about it while you still have hair left. After that, it's too late. Now, you used to have to go to the doctor's office for your hair loss prescription, but now thanks to Keeps, you can visit a doctor online and get hair loss medication delivered right to your home. They make it easy and deliver your medication every three months so you can say goodbye
0: to pharmacy checkout lines and those awkward doctor visits. Keeps offers generic versions of the only two FDA-approved hair loss products out there. You may have tried them before, but you've never tried them for this price. Prevention is key. Keeps treatments can take up to four to six months or more to see results. So it's important to act fast. The sooner you start using Keeps, the more hair you'll save. Find out why Keeps has more five-star reviews than any of its competitors. And nearly 100,000 men trust Keeps for their hair loss prevention medication. Keeps treatments start at just $10 a month Plus, for a limited time, you can get your first month free. If you're ready to take action and prevent hair loss, go to
1: keeps.com slash martini to receive your first month of treatment for free. That's K-E-E-P-S dot com slash martini. Again, keeps.com slash martini. All right, Jim, let's move to our second crazy martini now. And ultimately, I guess this is a good martini in some way since he seems to be fine, we think. Uh, But this is CBS News. John Roberts, the Chief Justice of the U.S. Supreme Court, was hospitalized last month after injuring his head in a fall, according to a court spokeswoman. Roberts, who is 65, was treated at the hospital on June 21st and stayed overnight. According to Kathy Arberg, the court spokeswoman, Roberts sustained an injury that required sutures on his forehead while walking for exercise near his home. Doctors believe the fall was likely due to lightheadedness caused by dehydration. He has suffered a couple of seizures in the past, but doctors ruled one out in this case. And so people just think it's a lack of hydration. And so, I mean, obviously we're glad he's okay. We have this conversation every time Ruth Bader Ginsburg goes into the hospital, regardless of what you think of the decisions, we're glad they're okay. But uh, Jim, uh, we've gotten some very curious rulings from John Roberts as of late, whether it's torturing the law as opposed to the Constitution. Uh, when it comes to DACA, uh, a weird position for him on the Civil Rights Act, given his minimalist approach most of the time. Uh, I mean, this guy's been a thorn lately, so you think it's a bump on the head or just
0: him trying to uh, balance everything out on the court? Look, Greg, everything I've learned from life, it comes from old sitcoms. One of the most important lessons you can take out of life is that if there is some sort of walk-in freezer or vault Two characters will get stuck in it. The line, They will think back to previous misadventures <laughs> they have had. The screen will get all squiggly, and then you will see clips of previous episodes, which is kind of an important way to show the viewers how the characters have grown and changed, and to save money by reusing footage from past episodes. Um, if so if you and I ever end up stuck in a freezer or, or vault or some other locked room, Greg, it is certain people who listen to this podcast will suddenly hear previous versions. And we try to learn valuable lessons of life from them. Um, the other thing, of course, is that if you get hit on the head, you will not suffer concussion. You will not suffer brain damage. You will simply experience a completely different personality change. This is, uh, every sitcom has confirmed the medical science on this. So if John Roberts really did take a severe blow to the head right before his recent decisions, this explains it, Greg. He, you know, we just need to give him another severe blow to the head, and he'll go back to being the John Roberts we know and love
1: amnesia that's also a big thing that happens when uh, sitcoms when you get a bump on it the head is
0: it is a boy it seems that he may have forgotten all everything he said in his uh, confirmation testimony doesn't that seem like the case there greg yeah haven't seen a lot of balls and strikes balls and from strikes yeah. <laughs> that's right.
1: oh man yeah well he got one right today it seems like in the uh, allowing uh, religious schools to actually hire people who agree with their doctrine so you know that's that's always nice <laughs> go figure <laughs> Well, you never know. But the way things are going the last month or so, who knows where people would come down. It was still seven to two. So there's two justices who actually disagreed with that. Okay, let's talk about our final crazy martini now. And nothing's crazier than Kanye. Kanye West, of course, uh, Yeezy, I think he goes by now. You know, he's wearing the MAGA hat. He and Trump shared the dragon energy there for a while. There was that unforgettable Oval Office uh, conversation where Kanye was bringing up stuff on his phone and Jim Brown was there and... Uh, they seem to be uh, kindred spirits. You know, he's even worked, Trump's even worked with Kanye and Kim Kardashian on uh, paroles and, and criminal justice reform, but uh, apparently the love affair is over. Kanye West is running for president. He declared it on the 4th of July, of course. Uh, he has two supporters so far, his wife and Elon Musk, uh, and an obscure vice presidential candidate he's already chosen. Uh, And he says, like anything else I've ever done in my life, I'm going to win. He says he no longer supports President Trump. He's taking the red hat off with this interview. Uh, He also says he's okay with siphoning off potentially black votes from the Democratic nominee, thus helping Trump, saying, quote, I'm not denying it. I just told you to say that the black vote is Democratic as a form of racism and white supremacy. He also says he's never voted in his life. He also says he had COVID in February and that he's suspicious of a coronavirus vaccine. He also hates Planned Parenthood, so that's good. And uh, he envisions a White House organizational model based on the secret country of Wakanda in Black Panther, and he would also make Elon Musk head of the U.S. space program. So Jim, uh, as a lot of folks have pointed out, getting on the ballot's going to be really tough at this point. He even acknowledges that, thinks that maybe he can use coronavirus as an excuse to extend the time that he needs to qualify for the ballot in various states. But uh, the bottom line is here that uh, I don't think this is a very serious campaign. I doubt that he's going to get a ton of traction, but you never know. Kanye has a way of uh, injecting himself into situations that most people didn't think he could. So what do you make of this uh, uh, self-proclaimed nominee of the birthday party? That's what he's saying his third party run is.
0: Well, the first thing, Greg, is boy, you know, Kanye West going off and erratically, suddenly going off in some sudden different direction from what he was doing before. God, who could have foreseen that, Greg? <laughs> so unlike him. Um, I, I will make an observation here that he's so uh, you know, when when Kanye had his Oval Office meeting with the president, um, I felt like I could see the portrait of Abraham Lincoln on the wall rolling his eyes at uh, at what the presidency had become. But I think what is, there's a, you know, look, we on the right and on conservatives and speaking more broadly of Republicans, and probably uh, this would apply to Trump supporters if you see them as a distinct group, the Venn diagram does not completely uh, overlap there. We are all desperate for celebrities. We know that almost all Hollywood celebrities are Democrats and in fact can be really kooky far left progressives we know that almost all musicians and rock bands are always complaining that Trump is using their music and all that stuff. Um, Used to be professional athletes were a little more outspoken, more conservative. Anybody from, you know, Jack Kemp, Steve Largent, JC Watts, even Reggie White. You know, the sports world has definitely become more woke, more further to the left, Colin Kaepernick, et cetera. So when a celebrity comes out, so to speak, as a conservative or as a Trump supporter, it is not surprising that many folks on the right eagerly embrace this and are thrilled by this and feel their pulse quicken a bit because finally, somebody, one of them is on our side. And if you doubt my assessment, I would remind you, the 2016 Republican National Convention in Cleveland featured a primetime address by Scott Baio. Now, whether or not it's fair to argue that Republicans have an authoritarian streak, it is accurate that yes, they do want Charles in charge. Um, The the point out of this, so when Kanye West, a a grade A celebrity, a grade A African-American hip-hop celebrity, uh, uh, you know, appears to endorse Trump, appears to endorse unorthodox, non-progressive thought, it's not surprising that people start high-fiving and feeling a great deal of excitement. And I would point that, you know, folks I respect a great deal, like my colleague Kevin Williamson, my former colleague uh, David French, looked at what Kanye was doing as he embraced a uh, move to gospel and attempted to kind of religious revival meetings in his own indisputably distinct style. And they came away impressed. They said that they think, or at least at the time, they thought Kanye West was taking his religious reawakening seriously. And that this was a, they, they, do believe, they don't believe this was a, a sales pitch or Marketing or something, they believe that you know Kanye West had really rediscovered Christianity and wanted to bring it to everyone he could. Um, and boy, you know when you think about uh, traditional religious values, uh, Greg, I can't think of anyone who, who embodies that more than Kanye and Mrs. Mrs. West. And you know, from that, not only did we see Kanye West becoming this this odd Trumpian celebrity. Honest to goodness, Kim Kardashian genuinely had a voice in the passage of criminal justice reform and getting the Trump administration to support it. And then further, the declaration of Armenian genocide. We live in really odd times. Give a couple points to my other uh, podcast co-host, Mickey White. With all of that said though, I think you look at a Kanye West and I think you look at certain celebrities who have built their brand on being unpredictable, on being unorthodox, on being surprising, that when an era in which progressivism and particularly woke progressivism is now the dominant culture, it holds Hollywood, it holds um, academia, it holds most of the media world, that inevitably we conservatives are the counterculture, right? We are the rebels. We are the ones who are doing things that are always quote unquote against the rules. It is not surprising that at some point a persona like Kanye West was eventually going to almost by accident align himself with conservatives because that is what rebellion means these days, right? There is nothing safer or more predictable than espousing woke politics. And so I think that what we happened here with the Kanye West you know, alliance with Trump for a year or two was simply that. It was a, a, a odd congruence of aligned interests that was destined to eventually fall apart one way or another, in part because... Um, Greg, I was surprised when Trump actually met Kanye in the Oval Office, because I had no idea that room could contain two egos that large. But I guess I should, I wasn't totally surprised because game respects game, and Kanye West and Donald Trump are two of the greatest self promoters this country has ever seen. However, the idea that eventually they'd have some sort of truly aligned philosophy of life or, or political goals or cultural goals was almost destined to, uh, to fall apart. I am not surprised that Kanye has changed his mind. And much like the weather in Chicago, if you don't like what Kanye West is doing, wait 10 minutes. It will change. So, you know, I don't think MAGA World should see this as a uh, heartbreaking departure. I don't think anyone should be that surprised by this. I think this was kind of inevitable. I don't know if the birthday party will really go anywhere. I think it. Um, it is, however, perhaps a natural evolution of our celebrity politics. I hope this does not actually get any traction. In whatever, whoever you want to vote for in, in 2020. I hope you don't vote for Kanye West. I, mean, I guess some people maybe as a protest vote to demonstrate how ridiculous politics have gotten. But really, vote for someone who you genuinely believe is ready to do the job and can step in and can do something. Um, and probably not some elderly septuagenarian who just blurts out the first thing that comes into their mind. That's yes. what we got. So,
1: so who's left? <laughs> yeah.
0: Oh, somebody! I'm sure I, I, I'm still looking, but somebody somewhere, you know.
1: Oh man! Well, you said you didn't want this to gain any traction, but let's just imagine for a moment that somehow Kanye not only gets on the ballot, but gets to that Ross Perot threshold where he gets onto the debate stage. Assuming we actually have debates this year with Trump and Biden, what do you imagine there? Do you think Kanye's going to tell Biden he'll let him finish? Do you think Trump's going to have a nickname for Kanye? What's
0: what's going to happen if that ever plays out? Uh, Greg, I'm going to let you finish. Yeah, actually, I'm going to observe, there was a perfect moment there in 2018 where you wanted to go back in a time machine to the infamous Kanye West interruption over, it was the MTV Music Awards or whatever it was, point out to that, you know, his, his rude and, and obnoxious, you know, seizing of the microphone from her and point out that you see this utterly adorable country, country crossover star, America's Sweetheart, and you see this loudmouthed, flashy uh, hip hop star with no respect for anyone. Just think that by the year 2018, one of them will be an important Republican surrogate and the (laughs) other will be doing everything possible to increase turnout amongst Democrats. Guess which one is which? I used to love the McLaughlin group, right? And the McLaughlin group, the the quintet there, uh, God rest the soul of John McLaughlin and They were not there because they were celebrities. They were not, the show may have turned them into quasi-celebrities, but in the end, they were there because they were good writers, good reporters, and that they cared about what was going on in Washington. McLaughlin Group was news for nerds. It was news for those of us who actually cared about this stuff. And everybody else out there who did not care about government policy and politics, you guys could enjoy entertainment tonight. You guys could enjoy everything else about this world. You can enjoy Hollywood and the music. There was so much of the world that was reserved for the pretty people. Let us ugly nerds have one half hour a week to discuss what really is going on. And the fact that celebrity politics, perhaps personified, I would say, personified by Trump, but you know, Kanye may even a more you know, purely distilled version of this. Um, demonstrates that there's nothing left for us, that, that with those of us who care about policy, those of us who care about this stuff and governance and all that kind of stuff, um, we've been squeezed out. And we are now, you know, to, to quote Jonah, a remnant. Uh, we, you know, and by the way, I think the country is spectacularly ill-served by this, and I do not believe that it is a, uh, uh, a partisan phenomenon. But, uh, anyway, I got to get down off my soapbox, uh, Greg, because otherwise I'll just be ranting all day long.
1: All right, Jim, I'm going to help you move that stuff into the freezer later today, and uh, <laughs> I will also see you tomorrow. <laughs> See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us today. Don't forget our friends over at keepskeepscom slash martini to receive your first month of hair treatment for free. Keeps.com slash martini. Please subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch. Give us a kind review with five stars and also get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. And most of all, join us on Thursday for the next Three Martini Lunch.